Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all back. Today we'll continue our uh, exploration of being time and time being, uh, and especially the way Dogen has presented his understanding in Uji. Uh, a famously difficult text. <clears throat> and I thought um, what I might do, you have uh, all received, I assume, the uh, copy of the translation that we provided for you. Is that right? Did that get sent out to everybody? I'm not sure. No? Oh, okay. All right. We'll send that out then. <clears throat> and uh, I wanted to it's a little bit different translation than the one I wanted to share with you today, which is from um, Master Dogen Shobogenzo. This is the translation by Nishijima. Um, and so it has a little bit different flavor. And I thought also, if you had some questions, it has abundant footnotes uh, that explain some of the uh, particular unique characteristics of this text. So just to review what uh, what Flint shared with us yesterday uh, in his very poetic introduction to this text and to this uh, entire theme of being time. It begins, an eternal Buddha says, and this eternal Buddha is uh, Master Yakusan Igen. Sometimes standing on top of the highest peak, sometimes moving along the bottom of the deepest ocean. Sometimes three heads and eight arms. Sometimes the 16 foot or eight foot golden body. Sometimes a staff or a whisk. Sometimes an outdoor pillar or stone lantern. Sometimes the third son of Chang or the fourth son of Li. Sometimes the earth and space. So the three heads and eight arms is sort of a reference to um, the Buddhist guardian deities who uh, often looked wrathful they had three angry faces and six arms and they and they guard the Dharma and the 16 foot or eight foot golden body the 16 foot golden body is the idealized representation of the Buddha and the eight foot golden body is the seated version of the Buddha so the 16 foot is a standing version and then a staff or a whisk, these are things that are carried by priests or um, by abbots. Um, and sometimes an outdoor pillar or stone lantern. These are just commonplace objects you can find all over Japan. So these are all uh, ways of being, obviously. Right? In this word, sometimes, time is already just existence, and all existence is time. The 16-foot golden body is time itself. Because it is time, it has the resplendent brightness of time. We should learn it as the 12 hours of today. So in the, those days, they divided the day into 12 hours, not 24 like we do. The three heads and eight arms are time itself. Because they are time, they are completely the same as the 12 hours of today. We can never measure, no, so that's the end of that first section. So the second uh, section, we can never measure how long or distant and distant or how short and pressing 12 hours is. 
At the same time, we call it 12 hours. The leaving and coming of the directions and traces of time are clear. And so people do not doubt it. They do not doubt it, but that does not mean they know it. The doubts which living beings by our nature have about everything and every fact that we do not know are not consistent. Therefore, our past history of doubt does not always exactly match our doubt now. We can say for the present, however, that doubt is nothing other than time. So I understand this to mean that um, we might doubt our ordinary perceptions of time, that, that our ordinary perceptions of time are complete um, or even adequate, but even our doubts are just moments in time, right? And because uh, our doubts of the past are different from our doubts now, we know that, uh, that the, there's this impermanence, there's nothing substantial to those doubts. And then he continues to say, we put ourselves in order and see the resulting state as the whole universe. Each individual and each object in this whole universe should be glimpsed as individual moments of time. Object does not hinder object in the same way that moment of time does not hinder moment of time. For this reason, there are minds which are made up in the same moment of time, and there are moments of time in which the same mind is made up. Practice and realization of the truth are also like this. <clears throat> Putting the self in order, we see what it is. The truth that self is time is like this. We should learn in practice that because of this truth, the whole earth includes myriad phenomena and hundreds of things, and each phenomenon and each thing exists in the whole earth. Such toing and froing is a first step on the way of practice. When we arrive at the field of the, in the field of the ineffable, there is just one concrete thing and one concrete phenomenon, here and now, beyond understanding of phenomena and non-understanding of phenomena, and beyond understanding of things and non-understanding of things. Because real existence is only this exact moment all moments of existence time are the whole of time, and all existent things and all existent phenomena are time. The whole of existence, the whole universe, exists in individual moments of time. Let us pause to reflect whether or not any of the whole of existence or any of the whole universe has leaked away from the present moment of time. So I love that whether anything has leaked away, right? Is there anything that's leaked away from this, uh, this present moment? So it's a little bit different translation than the translation we've been working from. And, um, and I will make sure that uh, we send that out to you today. So the one, it has a, a space for notes on the side. So if you wanna make some notes. I think this is really our, um, our work in practice is to recognize this. And I wanted to talk about this in terms of, uh, first of all, the fact that when we talk about this present moment, we sometimes think of just this personal, what's happening right in front of us at this very moment. But the present moment is actually wide. It includes everything, everything in this present moment. So, uh, so this is our challenge, right? To uh, understand this present moment is personal, 
um, a personal time and space um, and our, our personal way of relating to ourself and to others and to the world. It's also a collective moment. So it's a time in our family. It's a time in our workplace. It's a time in our city. It's a time in our Sangha, this present moment. Um, it's, we're also um, experiencing a kind of transformational historical moment, right? Um, and this moment of pandemic and political up upheaval, weather catastrophes, um, fires, storms, floods, uh, worries about the food supply, the water supply, these existential crises and losses of life um, that are all bound up in this present moment and all reflect this time. We're more uh, identified with a time than with a place, a person, or any work or anything else profession that we do. Uh, we are of this time. And later, we'll be able to say to each other, uh, remember that time of the pandemic or remember that time of the uh, terrible storm in Texas? And everyone will understand um, that uh, connection to that moment. So it's also a larger moment in terms of wars and racial justice and uh, fragility of life on earth and a big change in consciousness around all of those things. So, so we see that the self is a time construct, um, that it's built on our ideas, the, the fragments in time that we use to create a self, past, present, and future, um, and to understand ourselves and to justify or explain ourselves uh, to others. So oftentimes we'll um, we'll identify some fragment of time and we'll describe it to someone as a way to explain how, why we're behaving the way we're behaving or why we have the ideas we have. We also use these fragments of time to orient ourselves in the present and to project ourselves into the future um, and to form and manage uh, and sustain and end relationships. So we have this whole image of time of me as a child me struggling in school, uh, me succeeding at my work, uh, me dealing with my issues or failing to deal with my issues, uh, me faring as a parent or a grandparent or, or child, um, me as agent of the future, what I'm going to do, my plans, my hopes, my dreams, me as determined by the past, my parents, my childhood, those traumas that still impact me, um, me as others react to me, um, and me forming and holding these views. So these are all um, enfolded in this present moment uh, of existence. So, um, so the problem of views uh, of self and, uh, and time and relationships and collectives and nations is that they tend to limit our freedom and they tend to constrain what we can perceive. So we aren't seeing uh, things as it is, as Suzuki Roshi said, uh, we're seeing through our views and we're seeing through those views in this time. So um, we have uh, views of time also um, of certain kind of urgency or a sense of spaciousness or a sense of momentariness, uh, impermanence. Uh, we have a notion of time as an arrow that goes one way only. Uh, and time as constructed, past and present and future, like the things we remember, we construct at the time of remembering, not at the time of creating the, the memory. We have a, also a sense of time as a threat. Um, we only have so much time, 
uh, we're at the end of our time or when uh, when our time is up, our time is up. Um, and, but we also have a sense of time as potential. So when things will ha and how things will be realized in time. We have a sense of time as determining. So as the past determines the present or as the present determines the future or as the future determines the present. We have this sense of time determining things like when I'm going to get around to it, how I'm going to find time to do whatever, um, why I didn't have time to do this or that. So there's uh, tied up in our understanding of being time is our is issues of power and control of self-regulation of authority, who has the authority to uh, impose on my time or control my time or manage my time, um, mutuality, like how we um, share time together and how we have a sense of not wasting someone else's time or being mindful of how much time we're asking for, uh, respect, trust, harm, um, danger, and relationality are all bound up in this power and control of our being in time. <clears throat> so I'm just getting past my little map here. Um, so I, over the next few talks, I want to be exploring our existence time in terms of um, being time and the body, um, being time and heart mind, and being time and the spiritual life. So today I'm going to offer some thoughts about being time in and as embodied. So body time is the time kept by heartbeats, by breath, by blood cells and skin, by muscles and bones and systems, the digestive system, the respiratory system, the nervous system, <clears throat> and even uh, by the system of chromosomes. So there's some research around telomeres, which are um, the ending caps on chromosomes. And uh, it's, it's um, understood in this research that these ending caps um, determine whether the chromosome keeps its integrity, which is what controls our aging. So when those telomeres become shortened, and they can, can become shortened by stress or by sickness or by um, any number of environmental factors, um, then it accelerates the aging process and even has some impact on um, cancers, as it turns out. So these are all systems that are um, clocks, our body clocks, right? Um, so the body is a clock. It grew and it ages, but it can only be experienced in this present moment. You can't take a breath from the past. You can't borrow a heartbeat from the future. Although it exists only in present moment sensation, the body carries the memory of all that we've experienced, not only physically, but emotionally and psychologically as well. It's not only the scar where we hit our chin on the swing as a kid or the thickening of bone where we broke our leg. It's every interaction we've had with others, the trace of every illness, the residue from years of sitting, of typing on a computer, of angling our heads to stare at our phones. Our body stores the rage and grief and ecstasy and empathy we've experienced over a lifetime. Our body knows when it's lunchtime, when it's time to sleep. We imagine that we can will it to sleep when it's not ready, but we cannot. We may wish we could will it to enjoy a food we dislike, but it will not. We may long for it to respond to a touch when it cannot. The body is time's arrow, 
inexorable in its journey from birth to death. Yet for the body, there's only now. When we're sick, truly sick, our thoughts and emotions are magnetically drawn to our body and its distress over and over. When the body is injured, our attention is immediately focused on the injury. Our practice is not to suppress or ignore the body's sensations as ascetics do, but to turn our awareness to the exact experience, the bodily formations, the emotions arising, the thoughts that flash around our minds. For the time being, this is our practice. And as we are being time bodies, there's always a natural focus for our concentration. Ezra Beta, the Zen teacher, was struck by an autoimmune disorder that was utterly disabling and extremely painful at random intervals. He never knew when an episode would strike or how long it would last. He called Joko and told her that he was having so much difficulty practicing Zen because of his condition. She said, Ezra, your illness is your path. Whatever we're experiencing is our path to absolute awakeness and liberation. And we can always allow our attention to rest on the body, a portal to present moment experience and the immediate liberation from our painful expectations, requirements, and conditioning. We often say, in our teaching anyway, that our practice is an embodied experiential practice, not a mental exercise. Dogen taught that simply by taking the zazen posture, whether seated on the cushion or on a chair, and coming into stillness and silence, we are fully realizing our Buddha nature and expressing the Dharma completely. It was also the teaching of Suzuki Roshi in Zen Mind Beginner's Mind, who said, the most important point is to own your own physical body. If you slump, you will lose yourself. Your mind will be wandering about somewhere else. You will not be in your body. This is not the way. We must exist right here, right now. This is the key point. You must have your own body and mind. Everything should exist in the right place, in the right way then there's no problem. When we have our body and mind in order, everything else will exist in the right place, in the right way. So there's a reason the Buddha taught mindfulness of the body. It was the practice he learned from his own teachers. His teaching on mindfulness of the body is recorded in the Anapana Sati Sutta and the Satipatthana Sutta. When you're practicing mindfulness of the body, your awareness is right here in this present moment. You're fully alive in your own being time. He provided different practices, mindfulness of breathing, mindfulness of postures, mindfulness of the elements that make up the body, mindfulness of movements, mindfulness of the mortality of the body. And he concludes, thus, one lives contemplating the body in the body internally or one lives contemplating the body in the body externally, or one lives contemplating the body in the body internally and externally. One lives contemplating origination factors in the body, or one lives contemplating dissolution factors in the body, or one lives contemplating origination and dissolution factors in the body, or mindfulness is established with a thought, the body exists.
to the extent necessary just for knowledge and mindfulness. And one lives detached and clings to nothing in the world. <clears throat> so we might investigate this teaching a little bit this week when the Buddha encountered Ananda telling a group of disciples all about the Buddha's miraculous birth story, the Buddha said, and you know what is even more marvelous? When sitting, I know I am sitting. When standing, I know I am standing. When walking, I know I am walking. So this is the great miracle, right? To be able to know what your actual experience is in this moment. <clears throat> So I think this week, not only in the meditation, but in your everyday activities, any waking moment, recall your awareness to what the body is experiencing and enacting right now. This is very grounding and illuminating. You may find that your body is a great teacher in this way. Do you eat lunch because of your body's hunger or because the clock reads 12 o'clock? Does your body need to move to be outdoors? Is there an itch or an ache? Are the muscles of your face relaxed? Is your stomach tense? It's not that you need to immediately accommodate all of the body's demands or requirements. You may not have time to eat right now. You might not be able to go to bed or be outdoors. But to practice well, you need to be aware of those sensations and all that accompanies them. Emotions, thoughts, memories, plans. And of course, this all unfolds in the context of your deepest aspiration and inmost vow. The body teaches us how to meet suffering on an immediate level, not as some abstract concept. Our physical suffering and the physical suffering of others is specific, concrete, and immediate. It is not something in the past, and it's not a projection from the future. As we continue to practice, we can meet it with more equanimity, more wisdom, and more compassion, both in ourself and in others. Of course, we do not want to suffer and we do not want others to suffer. Our practice is to build our capacity for meeting suffering without making it worse. That's why Joko taught that the discomfort and even mild pain in Zazen is useful. That was though her word, useful. In the container of Zazen, maintaining stillness, not itching, stretching, moving, we're cultivating our capacity to meet our own relatively minor suffering with some ease and resilience. We're building a bigger container to hold more of our actual embodied experience. And we are developing the fortitude to meet the suffering of others with a tension that is not bound up with our anxiety, fear, and grief. Our care can be conveyed through our confidence, calm, and connection. This embodied practice is the training ground for our open engagement with the lived suffering of body, heart, and mind, and our truly compassionate response to the suffering of others. That response can only happen in this moment. <clears throat> Pandemic time is embodied time. We're aware of our own bodies in a new way, as vulnerable and endangered, even though we're not doing anything particularly adventurous, like whitewater rafting or climbing a mountain or race car driving. Other bodies, too, hold menace, even when the beings, their beings are friendly. 
we notice how long our body is in a store and we calculate how long it will be until we are vaccinated, until we can take these bodies safely to a restaurant, a family birthday party, a concert or a play. We are in a state of suspension because of a tiny body, a virus, whose body, like our bodies, multiplies until it covers the earth and has a terrible tendency toward destroying the environment that it is hosting, is hosting it. Those bodies too are vulnerable to a vaccine, to disinfectants, to UV light. Our time, this present embodied time is pandemic time. News about the pandemic has a sense of urgency. It is life-threatening or life-sustaining for humans or for viruses. Our bodies must rapidly learn to recognize the virus and mobilize defenses against it. Time is of the essence. Basically, vaccines, masks, social distancing are ways of buying time for these bodies, existent now in the midst of danger. Many, many bodies have perished. Their beings no longer existent, and so we are awakened, even in physical isolation and distance, our bodies are entirely dependent on the bodies of others, farm workers, grocery clerks, nurses, Amazon truck drivers, water utility workers, and on and on. Emergencies like the weather disaster in Texas, the wildfires in California, the hurricanes in the Gulf have awakened us to the complexity and fragility of the systems necessary to keep these bodies alive and well. Techniques we depend on fail, Suddenly, we are without electricity, water, or food, and our very existence is threatened. The question becomes, how long? How much time being do we have? Can we have? How can we appreciate this precious embodied ex existence enough to stay present in it, to be alive in every moment? When my father was leaving his body, I stood by the hospital bed, gazing into his eyes. I saw there his whole life, the wailing baby and the mother who would not comfort him because experts warned that a mother's love would make a boy homosexual. I saw the young boy racing his brother to the lake and the teenager, a lifeguard, dark haired and handsome, the young cadet at Annapolis, studiously shining his shoes. Then he was an officer in dress whites aboard a Navy ship, marrying my mother and sweeping her into his path. I saw all of his difficult and terrifying work with nuclear weapons and submarines. His divorce and loss of his family, when we lost him too, that comforting, strong, and kind presence in our lives, that embodied presence. <clears throat> then the scramble to make a new family with a new wife, I saw how his body had served him and ultimately abandoned him in the care of a Polish attendant. I said, we're athletes, he would say, urging my dad to walk. I saw the terrible anguish of the loss of his body's power and mobility and a kind of giving up of muscles and bones and nerves. I saw all of that in his eyes with such deep silence between us that I had no words before that enormity. <clears throat> Yet an ordinary person who does not understand Buddha Dharma may hear the words, the time being this way. For a while I was three heads and eight arms. 
For a while, I was an eight or 16 foot body. This is like having crossed over rivers and climbed mountains. Even though the mountains and rivers still exist, I have already passed them and now reside in the jeweled palace and Vermilion Tower. Those mountains and rivers are as distant from me as heaven is from earth. It is not that simple. At the time the mountains were climbed and the rivers crossed, you were present. Time is not separate from you. And as you are present, time does not go away. As time is not marked by coming and going, the moment you climb the mountains is the time being right now. If time, time keeps coming and going, you are the time being right now. This is the meaning of the time being. Does this time being not swallow up the moment when you climbed the mountains and the moment when you reached in the when you rested in the jeweled palace and vermilion tower? Does it not spit them out? Time swiftly passes by and with it our only chance. Don't waste time. All of our teachings come down to this. Don't waste the body's time, so brief and limited. Don't waste the heart's time, there is no later. Don't waste the mind's time, we never know how long it will serve us. Most of all, don't waste time on your spiritual path. Be wholehearted, but not obsessed. Be vigorous, but not anxious. <clears throat> Be consistent, but not rigid. Natural, ordinary mind and body are the way, but don't waste time. I think our view of existence and time is not wrong. It's incomplete. Our life is not simply a journey through time. Time does not pass us by. But what does that mean for our everyday lives? Can't I feel the ache in my bones and the stiffness in the morning that tells me I'm getting older? Aren't we still seeking enlightenment or at least better times? Waiting for something to happen is also living time. <clears throat> we are that fabric of time woven as we're living it. When we're looking ahead with anticipation or back with regret, we are in this present time creating the causes and conditions of hope and grief. Both are themselves causes and conditions for suffering. When we are awake, fully awake, here and now, we're not ensnared by our conditioning, our unique brand of seeing and knowing the world, relating to other people, managing our bodies, minds, and emotions. But even when ensnared by our conditioning, we are the, in this present moment, it is undeniable, and what else could we be? If you watch a small child or recall your own childhood, you will see many blunders. But can anyone say that those blunders should not have happened? Or that the child should have known better? They are the necessary blunders of becoming. So our own blunders have brought us to this present moment. How can we regret them? When we are lost in daydreams of a future we cannot actually live, we understand this time is that reverie, not a lived experience in the here and now. It is not a problem, 
That dream is our present reality. Most people do not understand that their actual lived reality is entirely their own experience of it, not something they have been thrust into and have had to deal with somehow. They will argue with you about that. But whether the circumstances through which they are expressing reality are favorable or unfavorable, wanted or unwanted in their own opinion, the reality is just this moment and their own expression of it. This is evident both in dire conditions, a concentration camp, for example, and in luxurious ones, like a wealthy mansion. In any case, our lives are an expression of generosity of spirit, care and kindness, of anxiety and fear, of self-gratification and sense pleasures, of self-serving or of service to others. We are always manifesting our choices, the responsibility for which we sometimes project onto others or the world itself. We are not responsible for what shows up in our time, but we are fully responsible for our expression of reality as that time. That does not mean that we must blame ourselves for our suffering or that of others. Self-responsibility is not self-recrimination. That too is a manifestation of our self-making as time. To stand naked of our self-constructions as the full expression of this time is powerful and liberating. I don't imagine anyone but a realized Buddha is able to do this all of the time. Just to engage in the thought experiment of it is a little disorienting, especially for those parts of us still clinging to our conditioning. There is no other time than this time, no future in which we magically become enlightened, no past in which we made the wrong turn. We can help each other by abandoning all expectations and requirements and recognize every being as this time together. Our conditioning hinders our view and our understanding of life as it is. If we are afraid, even terrified, when we fully recognize this, that is an appropriate response. <clears throat> Scientists discovering that space and time are a continuum means that where you are is right now and right now can't be other than where you are. Your existence seems to be occurring in a place at a time as though these are containers for your being. What Dogen points out is that there is no container. You are that and that is no other than you. Time, space, being are one expression. I cannot convey to you urgently enough, do not wait for better times. Do not relive the past. Hurl yourself into this present moment expression of being with all of your attention and energy. It will not come around again. Every moment of existence is monumental. The 16-foot golden Buddha is actually who you are. It is who you've always been and who you will always be. Our minds and hearts are boundless, pure potential. Yet they only exist through our expression of them. But we forget. And so we come together like this simply to recall who we are, what this time actually is. It's so different from our habitual view or the conventional understanding of time and existence that we need our spiritual friends and teachers as support and guidance while we learn to be from this new awareness. Our life is enactment. Don't wish you were a kinder person, just enact kindness. In this moment, 
and act kindness toward yourself, for your aspirations and efforts, towards others close to you, towards a stranger, a dog, a houseplant, towards someone you find difficult. There is no practice for a better you, just the expression of what is already present and available to you. At first, we may be tentative. That is the expression of this moment. We practice moment by moment. We may become confident then. That is the expression of that moment. Can you see that this is not a self-improvement program? Even so, everything is waiting for you in this moment. So here we are on Zoom in this intensive as uh, an array of squares with images that represent us somehow. Can we say that we are in the same place? Well, yes. Can we say that we are all in different places? Well, yes. How is that different from when we happen to be sitting in the same room? Are we in the same time? Well, kind of. Are we in different times? Well, kind of. And there are the time zones to consider. For Flint, it's morning time. For me, it is midday time. For folks in the UK, it is evening time. And each person is that time that they are currently embodying. So I wanna say a little something um, about waiting because it seems to me we've been in an attitude of waiting for a really long time. Waiting for a new administration, waiting for better economic times, waiting for the bad weather to end, waiting for that package from the container store, waiting for the pandemic to end, waiting to get the vaccine, waiting to hear if the vaccines will be effective against new variants of the virus, to hear if it is safe for vaccinated people to do normal things, go out to a restaurant, gather with family, go to a movie. We wait for the water to boil, wait in line at the post office, wait to hear from a close friend who's been sick. I once had an idea for a book called Waiting for Ben about the life of a mother who's always waiting, being pregnant and waiting to give birth, waiting for the baby to sleep through the night, to sit up, to walk, to speak those first words, waiting to hear what the doctor says, waiting in the group of other mothers for school to let out, waiting at the orthodontist, waiting at the saxophone lesson, waiting for the report card, waiting to find out how the prom went, waiting to hear about the college application, whether the girl he's with is the one, and on and on. I thought it might make a pretty good story, all the things that go through the head of the waiting mother over so many years. I never felt it as a form of suffering, just suspended time, time in which there was really nothing else for me to do. The stillness of it was a kind of gift, a pause in the middle of ceaseless activity, of trying to make ends meet, trying to take care of the laundry, the meals, trying to study, to write papers and teach classes. So that was my, uh, my book idea. Uh, but I think many of us spend a lot of our life um, existence time in that attitude of waiting, uh, as though some uh, deferred experience is what we really want to be having instead of our present moment time, our present existence time. So then we're in waiting existence, right? We're still being time, but we're being time in this kind of um, special way where we're leaning into some next thing that we anticipate happening. So um, I think we're right at the point where we'd like to give you some opportunity to talk about this being time and a body or 
being embodied time uh, in some small breakout rooms. I think we've got 23 people. Once again, the magic prime number. Um, so maybe we would want groups of four, I think. And, um, and we'll go until just until noon. So 20 minutes? Yes. Oh, it gives you 30, 10, 15, goes up in. And put, go uh, to 20. put Flint and I in a room. Yeah, I've done that. Okay. I'm onto that now from yesterday. <laughs> You're an expert. <laughs> Get in there. I wouldn't call myself an expert quite yet. <laughs> right, I'm going to hold on to your hats. Because <laughs> we're off. Okay, um, we're going to break for our little lunch break in just a minute here, unless there's anything that anyone wants to announce or anything that we need to say. Um, I'm just going to add the reminder that um, the uh, broken uh, down segmented um, text for Uji that Peg um, alluded to will be sent out to you. And it has a little place you could print it. It's, an, it's a, a large number of pages, but you don't have to print it because you got it digitally. So it's, it's, uh, you can follow because we'll be uh, um, maybe pointing out those numbered sections at different times. Okay, enjoy your time and um, please be mindful uh, during this time. Um, uh, you're gonna have a little meal, be mindful of preparation and eating and cleanup. And, uh, and uh, if you have a little time to walk outside, please do that. Yeah.